Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is Priest, Brother, and You, where we discuss your deepest questions from life on campus. My name is Father Jake Anderson, pastor and director here at St. Lawrence, and I'm joined by fellow co-host, uh, Brother Matthew. Brother Matthew here. Today we're going to switch things up a bit. Usually we will be taking the deepest questions from life on campus, but today we're, we'll be taking the deepest questions from ourselves, who we are, what is a priest, what is a brother, and how did we end up serving together like this? Hmm. Maybe we can start with Father Jake. What are you? <laughs> I have literally gotten that question from people around the university campus here, and even when I was a high school chaplain at a Catholic school, nonetheless. Like, uh, <laughs> what, what are you? This is not even close to Halloween. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> uh, I am a Catholic priest. Uh, what is a, What in the world is a Catholic priest? A Catholic priest is a man ordained by Christ to continue Jesus' work of redemption here on earth. So that's actually from Father John Hardin, uh, who was a Jesuit priest. That was just a very simple definition he gave. Um, a priest is a man ordained by Christ, or one who has received the sacrament of ordination, to continue the work of Jesus, uh, his work of redemption. In a particular way, that is through the proclamation of the gospel and the celebration of the sacred mysteries, namely the Mass, uh, the sacraments especially of confession. So it's the priest uh, who leads the faithful to their final destiny, uh, which is heaven, a man who brings God to people and brings people to God. So it's at ordination uh, that a priest receives his sacred authority and power, nothing on his own, but he receives his sacred power and authority through the power and presence of Jesus himself. Only God can forgive sins. So when the priest uh, forgives sins, he, he forgives in the name and power of Jesus himself. Uh, when the priest says, this is my body, this is my blood, it's not uh, Father Jake's uh, body, it's not Father Jake's blood, it's the power of and life of Jesus. And it's by his authority that a priest is able to say in the same words of Christ himself. So he operates in the person of Christ, or in Latin we say, in persona Christi, we're in the person of Christ uh, to give the power and love of Christ to his people. So that's just a few things about who a priest is. So here's a question for you. Why are there priests at all? So great, you're a priest, but why did God do it this way where he established a whole order of men to bring about his redemption? Yeah, so in the, the first event in John chapter 20, where Jesus rises from the dead, it's helpful to read to return back to the origins of Scripture, since this is where we find uh, the origins of the priesthood. So the first event in John's Gospel was where he appeared um, to his disciples who were huddled together in fear in the upper room, and he breathed on them, which is an interesting image in itself, and then he said, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven, and whose sins you retain are retained. So only God can forgive sins. And yet the very first thing that Jesus does after his resurrection is he gives mere mortals his same divine power to do certain things. Uh, he then gives the mandate in the end of Matthew's gospel, go out to all the nations 
uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In other words, uh, priests in particular are God's mediaries. We are mediating his presence. So in a way, we say that the church can grow uh, precisely after the resurrection uh, because God can go out and he's not limited by space and time as he was at Nazareth when he spent most of his earthly life in one place. Now through mediaries or through uh, men who are ordained, they can be the living presence of Jesus anywhere and everywhere in the world. That's great. Maybe a future podcast we can talk about. It'd be great to talk about why why priests are, are only men and the, the reasons behind there. But Father Jake, so for you, why actually become a priest? I remember when I was when I was young, I thought, well, priests are pretty cool, but I'll definitely only do that if I have no other options. <laughs> if things really go poorly, I'll become a, a Catholic priest. So what what did the the calling look like in your own life? Yeah, there's um, various ways I could propose it. There's like a, a two-minute version, 10-minute version, and a version that nobody wants to hear, uh, <laughs> which is really, really long. Um, <laughs> uh, no, so for me, yeah, my um, I never in earnest wanted to be a priest. I may have thought about it when I was like an altar server age, like um, you know, 10, 11, and 12. I might have had a fleeting thought of that. Um, but especially as I got older, uh, no, it was never really on my radar and maybe distantly something related to you. Like, I guess if there's nothing else, if no girl ever likes me, then maybe I'll have to consider some other options, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, so here here, here I am, here I am. Clearly all those dating relationships did not work. No, (laughs) (laughs) um, no. So I, I always wanted to be in business. I wanted to, uh, do entrepreneurship. I want to do a lot of what my dad did. Um, and um, so I went to school for economics and business and um, always just thought this was the, the natural direction I would go. Um, even in my family, I come from a large family. And as kids, we would always uh, talk about where we thought we, we would see each other. And like when we were adults or 20 years from now, and it's actually interesting how spot on we were for the most part with my siblings. Like my oldest sister, uh, we always said she was going to live closest to home. She was going to live with a white picket fence, a cute little house. She was going to have like four cute little kids and just live a nice little beautiful, happy life. It's exactly what she's doing. Maybe not quite the white picket fence, but almost everything else. Um, my other, my all other sister, Sarah, we always said she was going to live like in California in the desert have a lot of kids. She was going to be an author, a writer, and do crazy things. That's exactly what she's doing. <laughs> and one of the crazy things she does is she runs ultra marathons or 100 miles at a time. I can barely get up to two flights of stairs, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so for, for, for me, though, I was one of the um, outsiders. Nobody really guessed that I would be a priest. Um, so for me, uh, I was the most surprised, as was a lot of my siblings. And it really didn't start happening, the thought of priesthood didn't really start happening in my heart and mind until really after college, after my four-year education there. And it was firstly uh, a conversion to Christ. I would say that was where it all started. Um, it's, I, I had grown up Catholic. I had gone to church most every Sunday, even regular confession. So it wasn't like I had uh, like a serious St. Augustine type of conver- conversion. But... Um, 
But I really don't think I had seriously met the Lord in a personal adult way such that I was willing to give up my life for Christ and say, this is the life I want to live and my life is not my own. I don't think I had ever one of those moments when I was growing up. So it was really an encounter with Christ my senior year of college and um, the next couple of years in my early 20s that I really started to encounter Jesus particularly through sacred scripture, that was a huge factor for me, especially Luke's gospel. Uh, Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and following were hugely pivotal for my life, where Jesus essentially says, whoever would seek to come after me, or in my eyes, call himself a Christian, must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And it was through scripture, and especially those passages, that I just felt interiorly convicted and also consoled that Jesus was really, really true, that he was real. Uh, it was kind of a spiritual experience I had, particularly through some aspects of praying with Scripture. So it was that. It was encountering the poor in downtown Minneapolis, especially at St. Olaf, uh, people that I would, I'll be honest, I was always very put off by the poor when I was working downtown. Um, and so I never really wanted to look at them because it was almost like an examination of conscience to me. I always felt deeply uncomfortable because I was comfortable, if that makes sense. So uh, it it was encountering the Lord in prayer, especially through Lexio Divina and Scripture. Um, It was encountering the Lord in the poor uh, when he started to give me a a desire to actually look at them. (laughs) Um, It was also through, through reading. I'd never really delighted in reading or just the formation of my mind until after college, as ironic as that is. And I really encountered uh, just the power of truth, especially through authors like C.S. Lewis. I think his book, Mere Christianity, was one of the most pivotal books in my life. Um, There were were plenty of other authors, but I was just drawn to truth. I'm like, wow, there are certain things that are true and things that are not. And does the Catholic faith hold water? Um, It was also through just some good friendships I had, a few in mind that uh, a few of the men I was living with at the time that... um, just through our conversations and the way in which we were living our life, it was starting to actually change my heart to take Christian Catholicism not only seriously, but as a way of life that could really transform me in Jesus. So it was largely through first encountering the person of Christ and coming alive to my Christian faith that then it seemed to open up a new door towards to hearing the voice of God. And that was something I'd always heard people talk about when I was a kid, but I'd never really experienced in earnest. And lo and behold, that was what was beginning to happen as I started to just live more fully the Christian life, a life that is given, a life that is not completely my own. I started to hear like, I would just call them like little promptings, little urgings that I almost couldn't get away from like loving gnats <laughs> that are around your head that, that weren't annoying. <laughs> they were good, but I was like, oh, I'm not quite sure about this. And some of those things were about priesthood. And, um, and it happened in, in unexpected ways. Random people, uh, would, like off the street, there was one particular event that I was lo- walking across 6th and 4th in downtown, downtown Minneapolis, a very specific place. And I remember like, just getting out of the crosswalk, a random person said, hey, I don't even know you, but have you ever thought about the priesthood? But then there was also this odd, odd thing where in prayer, 
I started to hear this little phrase and I thought I was going crazy. It just said, look over here. That was all the phrase was, look over here. And I thought I was making it up like something in my mind, but it just kept surfacing, especially as a pattern in my prayer, like look over here. And then one day I was walking into work, uh, again, downtown, and I heard that same little phrase, but it had changed and it just said right there. And I looked over and crossing the other crosswalk was the Catholic priest at St. Olaf. And he was really old. Uh, he was like 82 years old and just kind of hobbling across. I'm like, uh, look like right there. <laughs> and it was like the Lord just putting the crosshairs on this person all in black who was going in to say mass. And I was kind of scared a little bit, but also like, wow, this is this really happening? So I started going to daily mass more often. Um, not quite daily, but certainly more often than just Sundays. And, um, and I just felt in a, a level of peace at Mass that I had never experienced most of my life. And it just seemed like, you know, the world could be going crazy, and it really was, um, you know, a lot of high traffic, just a lot of noise. And, and yet when I was praying, especially at Mass, it just seemed like I was in the, the calm of the storm. I was in the eye of the storm, and that God could just keep me there and, and ground me. And so... It was especially encountering the Lord in the Eucharist, um, in conversations with other priests, uh, that I I started to make a deal with God. I don't remember if there was like a date or a time exactly, but I do remember in hindsight looking back, there was in prayer an event whereby I simply said, Lord, here's the deal. I can't help but see that you might be beckoning me towards priesthood, but I don't want it. I really enjoyed working and I was coming alive in my faith. And it, in my mind, it was like, Lord, why do you have to ruin a good thing? Like the great things are happening right now. I'm finally coming alive to you and I'm at work. This is great. So I said, uh, in hindsight, I, I said, Lord, like, I can't deny that you're beckoning me towards priesthood. It seems that way. You're putting people and things in my life that I'd be, I, I wouldn't be doing it justice if I didn't say that something was happening. And yet I didn't want it. So here's the deal. You have to make me want it. You have to decrease my desire for the things that I desire, and you have to increase my desire for priesthood. Otherwise, I can't move. And over the course of about a year and a half, that was the little miracle that started to happen. Hmm. It seemed like the closer I, I got to the Lord, the more he increased my desire for priesthood. And yeah, after about a year and a half, I got to a certain point where I'm like, I simply have to check out the seminary. I have to start actively discerning this. Otherwise, I would be going against the will of God for me, given what I know now to the best of my ability. So it wasn't like a zero to 60 that I was filled with great certainty, even the day that I started filling out the application to the seminary or even walked in the door. Uh, and dare I say, even a couple years into seminary, I wasn't 100% certain. All I was certain about was that the Lord was opening a door. I couldn't, ex I couldn't see exactly what was through it, but I knew I had to go through it. I knew that the Lord was calling me to go through it. And unless he gave me a door out, I simply had to be faithful to what he was putting right in front of me. So as I continued to go forward, it just seemed like he kept opening up doors and increasing my certainty that this was, in fact, what he was calling me to do.
What would you say has been one of the toughest parts of actually being a priest? I would say one of the toughest things that just, the, the first thing that comes to my mind, I don't know if it's the only thing, it's certainly not, but the first thing that comes to my mind is encountering indifference. And I suppose what I mean by that is, well, the Christian life is, is basically all or nothing. You can't be a half-hearted Christian. <laughs> I mean, I suppose in one sense you, you can be, that's the problem. It's when like you have given up everything or, or are seeking to give up everything for love of God and you've encountered the reality of the presence of Jesus. And then you meet other people who not only do not share that, but aren't hot or cold either way. It's like, oh, that's good for you. That, that's great. That's great. Even amongst Christians and amongst Catholics. That might be the hardest thing. How about for you, brother? I, um, growing up, I don't think I encountered very many brothers, consecrated religious brothers or sisters. Um, they were certainly around. I just don't think I encountered them. <laughs> but for you, like for, for you, like what, one, what is a brother? And then I'd love to even uh, ask you the same, the same question. Like, how did you come alive to this, this calling and this vocation of being a, a brother? Yeah, I too, growing up, I did not know any brothers. And I think, I think if, we, if we had grown up 70 years ago, this is part of the problem with understanding what is a religious brother or sister for that matter, is that we had, had we grown up 70 years ago, we would have we would have known many, at least in a, in a Catholic culture, we would have known many religious brothers and religious sisters. As to, as to what is a brother, it's an interesting question to juxtapose with what is a priest, because the two are actually not opposites. Mm. They, they come from different categories. So whereas, whereas priesthood is an office, it's an office that, that a man takes on and becomes part of the the hierarchy of the church, able to dispense the sacraments. Religious life is not an office, it's a way of life. And for it's for that reason, since they're not in conflict, it's actually possible for there to be priests who are religious, priests who are part of a religious community. One famous example of that is Pope Francis. He is a, a Jesuit, meaning he belongs to a religious community, and, and he is a priest. Most Jesuits are, are also priests. I think what, what distinguishes religious life, not from priesthood necessarily, but from, from all kinds of other ways of living the Christian life, are three things that I would land on. Religious life has, has three main parts. One is the vows. The vows that all religious take. So religious such as Mother Teresa, religious such as St. Francis, they take at least three vows, and ordinarily only three, and these are the three vows that they take. Vows of chastity, poverty, and obedience. Now, all those vows are lived by all priests, even priests like Father Jake, in, in some way, but they're lived by religious in, in a concentrated way. And, for example, with the vow of, of poverty, although Father Jake might own his car and has to be responsible for his car and make car payments and things like that, I actually don't own anything. Our, our brotherhood, we do have cars, and so we share them. But nothing is my independent property. And so that's the same for, for religious 
persons of, of all kinds. This is for religious brothers and religious sisters. The second element of religious life is is living in community. So that means that, that religious vow themselves not only to the Lord and, and these, these evangelical councils, but also to one another. They're committed to living the Christian common life, sharing all things in common, serving together, living together. It's a household of faith. Then the, the final, final element that I'd like to emphasize of religious life is that all religious communities, of which there are many, have a specific charism. And, and so the, the church sees all of these religious communities, of which there are many, many famous ones being Jesuits, like I mentioned, but also Franciscans, Dominicans. Each religious community brings their own charism to the church. And so the body of Christ has many parts, and so the religious community brings many gifts. So my community, the Brotherhood of Hope, we're a small community founded in 1980, and our charism is what we call the all-sufficiency of Jesus, which is, means a number of things, but one of the things it means practically is that we believe, as members of the Brotherhood of Hope, that Jesus is the answer to all the issues of the world, especially the deepest needs of the human heart. And so we live our lives proclaiming that to one another and to all those we meet. So for you, and you alluded to this where um, maybe in times past, more people would have had access or seen more visibly religious brothers or sisters, and so would have had that more as a norm. Now we don't have as many. But for you, like, how did you start coming awake to this vocation? Uh, did you did you have any uh, visible reminders of uh, consecrated religious brothers or sisters in your life, or how did you start coming alive to this? Good question. Not much exposure there growing up. I grew up in a good Catholic family, but for whatever reason, the first time I could really say that I actually encountered Jesus and knew it was Him was not until college. And, and what happened there was I, I got involved somewhat accidentally by a, a campus ministry group at college during my freshman year, simply because of where I lived in the dorms, it so happened. And I, I found in these other people who were living in community, kind of like the community of students we have here at St. Lawrence Church, they were living in community together, and they loved me in a way which I had never experienced before. They, just having known me, just... Here I was, this awkward freshman guy, and they wanted to know me. They talked as if God was a friend of theirs, was a father to them. And so I, I found an authenticity of these people that, that I gradually realized there is something very different here. So it was in that context of community where my first, where my first real encounter with the Lord happened. And like you said, Father Jake, I think any vocation begins with with a moment of conversion and and a deepening conversion. So that was it for me and, and very very gradually throughout college I began to say yes more and more. I also said quite a few no's, but but said more <laughs> and more yeses to Jesus. And and he began to change my heart from a from a very stubborn and stiff man to a man who who wanted to give my whole life uh, in making the father's love known. So when I graduated college, I decided, since I had been so impacted by 
by the love of God through campus ministry. I wanted to give back somehow to that mission and help others encounter the Lord through that. So I became a a campus missionary, and I I moved in with the Brotherhood of Hope in New Jersey. And I had I had had some uh, some inkling that maybe some some suspicion that I was trying to escape that that the Lord actually was calling me to to religious life, but I'd never I had never seen it close up, at least in a in a fully Catholic way. So just one story. I remember moving in with the brothers, and it was I was beginning my work as a campus missionary. And the, the director, Brother Joe, he invited me to get breakfast with him. And I was so grateful. I thought, oh, this will be a great chance to get to know him uh, for the first time. Great, he can he can kind of welcome me and treat me well that I'm new here. So we go to this diner very near our home. And it turns out the, the waiter, Brother Joe, kicks off a good conversation with him at his, at his first round at the table. And then Brother Joe continues talking more and more to this guy. And eventually I realize... Brother Joe is evangelizing our waiter. And in effect, that that conversation with the waiter dominated our whole time together. And we never really got to talk much about anything. But I noticed something there in Brother Joe that this man is an evangelist with all his heart. He wants everyone to know the love of Jesus. And and very gradually, I just had a deepening sense that the Lord had a similar call for myself to to be a missionary with my whole life, not just with a couple years of my life, but with everything that I am. And so again, through prayer, the Lord speaking and giving gentle nudges along the way, uh, eventually became more and more clear that he was calling me to to live in community life with uh, with this community. The final final piece there is, is it one one final discernment retreat that I did before entering into this into this community? The Lord said to me very clearly uh, something that I had thought before, but this time He was saying it, and, and it was that He was calling me to live with men who would themselves call me to grow in lifelong holiness, and the mm. Lord Jesus wanted me, poor me, small me, sinful me, to be holy. And he had provided a group of men that were going to do that for me, call me onto that my whole life. Hmm. So for you, um, just given your own experience, what you've known these last years of being a religious brother, what is the most difficult thing for you personally? One of the things I find is that is that religious life demands everything and there's no when we take our vows of chastity poverty obedience that's that's a way of saying that everything belongs to Jesus and so I, in that sense I'm grateful for our particular charism which which actually helps me to live religious life because our charism is to say that even giving up everything and even serving with all of our energy all of our strength Jesus is enough Jesus is enough. He, he is enough for the deepest desires of the human heart. But where that hits the road is that he is, the, he is enough for the deepest desire of my heart. And so I just find constantly that my heart resists that. My heart resists allowing Jesus to become Lord on that deep level. But he, he pursues me. He wants that in me. So I find that in one sense to be certainly the most difficult thing, but also 
the most awesome thing about mm. religious life is Jesus's pursuit for me. Mm. One of the things that we have uh, a lot in common, even with our uh, differences, religious brother and priest, is that we actually both are in communities. Um, so the Brotherhood of Hope, the community of the brothers that you live with, you live with six other brothers? Something like that. I lose track. <laughs> and, uh, and I, too, live with six other brothers uh, and part of a, a, a group of, relig- of diocesan priests called the Companions of Christ. So we're not a religious order, um, but we call it like a vocation within a vocation of the diocesan priesthood. Uh, our charism is... Um, to, to live in radical commonality and communion as diocesan priests. So we really foster fraternal life in the, in, uh, in the priestly life of the diocesan. Um, so it's, it's good that we share this like similar backbone of community. So just given that, and I know we're, we've only got a couple minutes left, but what is the most fruitful thing for you about living in community? I find the most f- fruitful thing is actually something that that most people wouldn't see on the outside, and probably you can relate to this, Father Jake. It's actually something that happens within our household life together, and it's the it's the shared fraternal life that that we experience as a, as a family. Our founder has called us many times a a family in the order of grace, not in the order of flesh, but in the order of grace. And I really experience being part of a family of brothers, and to be able to go home and say. These are my brothers. We mm. share the same Heavenly Father. Mm. Yeah, very similar for me. Uh, the image that just comes to mind is, um, you know, when you build a campfire outside, and especially as you kind of continue to build up the flames, um, if you were to take, you know, a, a burning coal out of the fire and just put it off by itself, you know, it'll still be hot. It'll still burn for a while. Um, but without being in the context of the other coals, it goes out just much faster and it doesn't have the vitality. Yet you look at these mm-hmm. other coals and they, they, they retain their heat and they retain their vitality. And so for me, it's so powerful um, to be amongst a community of brothers who <laughs> we are very different, uh, different ideas about things. And yet, very similar in the order of grace, there are these other men who are with me to burn with me. Um, We're after the same thing. And on any given day, sometimes there's challenges with one of the brothers um, in their own personal life of like, just, wow, following Christ can be hard and can be a challenge. And yet when you come back to the community, uh, I, I do sense a real vitality in these are gifts from God to help me to really not only retain the love of God, but to really burn and to burn hot with the love of God as, as a community of brothers together and not just as isolated individuals. Yeah, and I think oftentimes when we think of a vocation, at least I did growing up, we think of someone just sitting alone in a room praying continuously. But rather, at least in our own experiences of it. But I think this is God's intention, even for the diocesan priesthood, is for vocations to be lived in some kind of community life. Yes. That's because it's so essential to the Christian life in general. I think the other thing I appreciate just about our own ministry here is that that we get to, our different vocations get to serve together. And mm. so there's a, 
I think in God's wisdom, the Father establishing different vocations in the church and having these vocations work together. Again, mm. the body of Christ has many parts, and that includes the vocation of marriage as well. Mm. So, well, thanks for joining us today. Hope you enjoyed learning a bit about our own lives. We'll be back next time. God bless.